This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. I'm going to have Shabbos, hope everyone is well. This week we begin Sefer Devarim, and this week we read Parshas Devarim. Parshas Devarim is known for Moshe Rabbeinu's Musr, rebuke, toichicha, that he gives for the Jewish people. But I think we have to ask ourselves a much more important question. How does this week's parasha correspond to the time we find ourselves? We know parasha's Devarim is always read. The Shabbos before Tishabov and Shabbos Chazoin. Which means there must be a message from Moshe Rabbeinu. From this week's parasha to the time we find ourselves. To the situation we find ourselves. And where we're mourning the Beis Hamikdash, Where we intensified our mourning of the Beis Hamikdash, We're already past Rosh Chodesh. Almost at what's called Shavu Shechal by the week of Tishabov. What is the message from this week's parasha from Moshe Rabbeinu that we can take away, that we can use as we get ready to mourn the loss of the Beis Hamikdash? And I believe the answer lies in Rashi in the beginning of the parasha, the first Rashi in the parasha. Rashi tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to give Musr to the Jewish people. And if you look through the Psukim, it's hard to see where the Musr is. It's almost like Moshe Rabbeinu is talking in hint. And Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu did this specifically and intentionally. He wanted to leave the Musr, not to be open and clear in the words of the Psukim, but rather to be more hinted to. And instead, Moshe Rabbeinu gave hints to the people, to locations and places where the Avera took place, instead of actually describing the Avera. Why? Says Rashi, quoting from the Sifri, because of Kvodin Shal Yisrael. Out of the covet, out of the respect for the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu, did not give open, outward rebuke, but rather he hinted to it in a way that they will figure it out on his own. The Mir Rosh Hashim of Nassim Finkel Zatzal asks, I don't understand, there's a mitzvah to erase a biblical commandment. You have to properly rebuke your friend. And we can imagine Moshe Rabbeinu being the leader of the Jewish people had even a larger obligation to rebuke the Jewish people. So why did he feel that it was okay and acceptable to just hint it to them instead of outwardly giving them the rebuke? Explains from Nassim Svi that we see from here that as important the mitzvah of Musr is, it does not beat out embarrassing someone. Kavoyden shal Yisrael, the glory, the respect, the honor of a Jew is even more important. And he points out that this mitzvah of giving Musr is a very difficult mitzvah. Every other mitzvah we do, it's easy. You follow what it says in Allah and you take the lulav, you shake the lulav, you sit in the sukkah, easy. You don't have to worry about the feelings of the sukkah or of the lulav. But this mitzvah, the Torah demands of us, not only do we do the mitzvah, we have to take into consideration the feeling of the person, the emotions of the person who we're going to rebuke. So it becomes a very difficult mitzvah. And for that reason, Moshe Rabbeinu knew how great the mitzvah was, but also knew how even more important the honor of the Jewish people is. And Nassim Svi goes on to point out that we know how important embarrassing one Jew is. The Gemara tells us that one of the reasons for Chorben Yerushalayim was Akamsa Ubar Kamsa because of that famous story that we talk about every single year. Because one Jew got embarrassed. One Jew. We're not talking about an entire population, an entire community. One Jew was horrifically embarrassed. And because of the bush of one Jew... The Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Says in Nasan Svi, look at what the Torah is telling us. How careful we need to be with the feelings of others. How careful we have to be not to chas insult someone, embarrass someone, degrade someone. 
even if we're doing it in the context of a mitzvah. Even if we're trying to do good and we're trying to, and we're trying to do the will of Hashem and we're trying to be a good person, we must always take into consideration who are we harming, whose feelings might be hurt. And I believe that exactly correlates to the time we find ourselves right now. What do we need to work on as we get closer to Tisha We need to work on unity in Klal Yisrael. We need to look at every single Jew as if he's integral and important. And how do I have the audacity and the chutzpah to degrade him, to embarrass him, to speak ill of him? This is what we need to do to rebuild Klal So we need to realize how every Jew matters. And the worst thing we can do is to watch someone be degraded. Watch someone be insulted. Watch someone be devalued. And worse, if it comes from us. That we cause someone to feel like that. And because of this, Maish Rabbeinu was meticulous and careful in his rebuke. In a way that no one should feel insulted. No one should feel hurt. No one should feel like they're less of a person. I want to share with you an amazing story. Really an amazing story. There was a couple who got married... And the next night after the chasm of the first Sheva Brachas was a very exciting Sheva Brachas. The chasm and the Kala showed up and the family is all there and everyone's just flying high from the chasm of the night before. Everyone's so happy, so excited. A new daughter-in-law, new son-in-law, new sister, new sister-in-law, new brother, new brother-in-law. Everyone is just at the highest point. When the chasm and the Kala go to wash for bread, the Kala realizes her diamond ring that she got as a gift from her chasm is missing. She starts to get nervous, she starts to get worried. Oh no, where's my diamond ring? It's missing, where'd it go? She's worried, she's nervous. And of course, whatever Kala doesn't want, her mother-in-law finds out as well. Her mother-in-law sees that the ring is missing and all of a sudden the mother-in-law, perhaps even more so than the daughter-in-law, loses it. She starts getting all frustrated. What type of daughter-in-law do I have? She's so clumsy. She's not careful. She's only married maybe 24 hours and she already lost the ring. What type of mother is she going to be? What type of wife is she going to be? And the slander and Lashon Hara begin at that point. And the entire family, you can imagine, starts to gang up against her. Her future, her, her new daughter, sister-in-law is all of a sudden now. Look at her with negativity. Look at her as like, oh, the Shlamazel in the family. And this now has to go on for the next six nights of Sheva Brachas. Each night she shows up to Sheva Brachas mother-in-law hoping maybe she found the ring and she has to say, no, I'm sorry, I still can't find it. And all the faces begin and the smirking and the chatter behind her back. There's not a, a hole dig, deep enough for this girl to want to be in right now. This new couple starting out their marriage and already met with so much, so such difficulty and Lashon Haru and negativity. Fast forward to the last day of Sheva Brachas. They're getting dressed to come to the last Sheva Brachas. They're not excited at all about Sheva Brachas. Each Sheva Brachas just means more feeling put down, more people talking about you. It's a horrible feeling. The Chassan and Kala are getting ready and all of a sudden the Chassan screams and he says, Oy vey! I found the ring! It was in my jacket pocket! That night, the night of the Chassan, when we went to wash before the Suda, you must have given me the ring and I put it in my jacket pocket and I totally forgot and I haven't worn this suit since the night of the wedding. Oh no! It's my fault, not your fault. You can imagine the feeling of the cow saying, oh, Wow, that's where the ring was the whole time. But the chassan felt so bad that his wife has been spoken about so negatively. And everyone's been bashing. And everyone's been saying things about her. The chassan tells her, you know what we're going to do? 
I'm going to speak at the last Sheva Brachas tonight. I'm going to tell everyone what happened. And that's what happens And the last Sheva Brachas. The Chassan gets up and he makes a big, big speech. He says, I want everyone to know the missing ring is my fault. I'm the foolish one. I'm the immature one. I'm the bad one. She's not the bad one. She's so on top of things. And just like that, the attitude in the room changes. All of a sudden, her mother-in-law is like, yes, I knew she was the smart one. I knew my son didn't deserve a girl like that. And all of a sudden, the sister-in-laws are like, yes, we knew she's much better than our brother. And Baruch Hashem, peace, returns to the home. Fast forward three years later, this girl was walking next to a wall, and she bangs her hand against the wall, and she sees the rock, the diamond of her ring, jolts a a little bit out of place. She gets very nervous. She says, oh no, I don't want this diamond to fall out because I'm going to get it over there. We went through this already once with a missing diamond ring. I don't want this. And so she goes to the jeweler where they bought the ring from before the chasana. And she says, please, can you tighten it so it doesn't fall out? The jeweler says, no problem. I'd love to. I just have to tell you, you didn't buy this ring from me. So she says, what are you talking about? Me and my chasana came to you three years ago before we got married. I picked out this ring and we bought it from you. He said, lady, let me tell you, I'm a jeweler. I know my rings. I know my diamonds. I did not sell you this ring. So now the girl is totally lost. She doesn't know what to do. Or what's going on over here? So she waits for her husband to come home. Her husband comes home. She says to him, what is going on? Tell me the story. The husband says to her, I'll tell you the truth. This is not your ring. I couldn't stand every Sheva Brachas where people would speak ill of you. I couldn't stand by and hear the way they were degrading you. I couldn't allow this to continue. So I went out when you weren't, I was able to sneak out. And I went over to a friend of mine and asked him for the closest version of your ring. And I bought a new ring and I made, I planted it on my jacket. I made up this whole story. Because I couldn't watch what they were doing to you every single night. I couldn't stand by when they were being mevazed you and speaking ill of you and degrading you. I couldn't stomach it anymore. And yes, I went out and bought a knockoff ring just so they'd stop being mevazi you. And even if it meant, they'd be mevazi me. So I'm sure you're all thinking, of course, it's his wife. He understands 100%. And any good husband would probably do the same thing. But it shouldn't just be a husband and a wife or someone that you're close to. We shouldn't do anything that can hurt a Jew or even something that can make a Jew feel bad about himself. Every action that we do and everything that we say and every comment that we say, we have to think, would this possibly hurt someone? Will this cause someone agmas nefesh? Will this make someone feel bad? And if the answer is no, yes, then we don't do it. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us in this week's pressure. If someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to be insulted, even if it might even be justified, we have to try to find ways and avenues not to hurt, not to embarrass, not to degrade people. Mr. Hashem, we should take the lesson from Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's parsha in thinking about people's feelings. Taking people's feelings into consideration in our life. Mr. Hashem, this will help us appreciate each other more. Grow closer to each other. And by doing so, we'll rebuild Kla Yisrael, one Jew at a time. And that's because we should be zeichet to not have to go through a Shavu Shechal Boy and a Tisha Boy. Hashem will see how we want to rebuild from within. We want to come closer. And that's because we should be zeichet to see, to greet together as one. The arrival of Mashiach and Mehebi Amenu. Have a wonderful Shabbos.